Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. This week, we're rounding out our mini-series of classical music patrons with a very eccentric character, Ludwig II of Bavaria. The eccentric and fantastic life of Ludwig started in 1845 when he was born in Schloss Nymphenburg. He was the first son of King Maximilian II and Queen Marie of Bavaria. However, he and his younger brother Otto didn't spend much quality time with their parents growing up. Ludwig spent most of his youth in the castle Hanschwingau alone. This castle was a reconstruction of a much earlier Gothic-style fortress that was restored by Maximilian. Ludwig, since he was set as next in line to the Bavarian throne, was tutored in matters of state. However, he also had personal interests in tales of medieval chivalry, folktales, and religion. It seems only natural, then, that Ludwig would become a big fan of Wagner and his grand productions of German legends. In 1858, when Ludwig was 13, he begged his father to let him attend Wagner's opera Lohengrin, a story about a knight of the Holy Grail. Maximilian, however, did not find this suitable for the young prince, so he was forbidden from going. He finally got his opera fixed two years later, though, when he was finally allowed to attend the production. And from that point on, he was, became obsessed with all things Wagner. For years, he had read tales of the Ring of Nibelungen, and now he learned that Wagner sought to put them in operatic form. But Wagner was short on money, and it didn't look like these works would be produced anytime soon. In 1864, Maximilian died, and Prince Ludwig was crowned King Ludwig II of Bavaria. He truly wanted to be a good king. Throughout his youth, the stories he had been obsessed with had taught him gallantry and justice. He also cared deeply for the Bavarian region. He wished to improve the cultural and artistic venues of the region and envisioned Munich as a cultural hub, much like Paris or Vienna. He began to realize this vision by founding the famous Munich Conservatory and building a new opera theater. However, he seems to have felt a little out of his league when he first took the crown. He is quoted as saying, He became king much too early. I had not learned enough. I had made such a good beginning with the learning of state laws. Suddenly, I was snatched away from my book and set upon the throne. One thing he had learned, however, was how to send official summons for court. One of his first acts as king was to summon his great idol, Wagner, to court. At first, Wagner didn't really want to go. However, he was eventually convinced by Ludwig's messengers and he appeared in court. Ludwig and Wagner became fast friends, perhaps in part because Ludwig agreed to pay some of Wagner's debts. However, for some time after that, Wagner was a frequent visitor to Ludwig's residencies. And speaking of residencies, 
Ludwig had many. Like his father before him, he liked the old-style castles, but appreciated the modern amenities. So the first and most famous castle Ludwig designed was Neuschwanstein Castle. Translated into the New Swan Castle, it helped give Ludwig his nickname of the Swan King. This is the castle, the pretty one <laughs> that you see in all the pictures, that was famously used as a model for Sleeping Beauty's castle in Disneyland. And though it was designed in 1868, Ludwig designed the exterior of a medieval castle. The interior is lavishly decorated and features a private grotto off Ludwig's bedroom and a replica of the concert hall in Wartburg Castle. Many other rooms in the castle are decorated with scenes from legends and biblical references, some of Ludwig's favorite things. This castle took a long time to build, however, and as we'll see, Ludwig himself didn't really get to spend much time in it. Where he did spend a lot of time was in Linderhof Palace. It was Ludwig's first attempt to replicate Versailles, another one of his fantasies. Of note, the Bavarian monarchy was close friends with the French House of Bourbon and all its respective Louis. This Versailles replica didn't quite work out, though. The area that Ludwig had planned for it was too small, so instead he designed a little Baroque escape that only had ten rooms. Ludwig really didn't like other people or large crowds, so this small mansion protected him from too much social interaction. This palace also features a grotto, this time large enough to hold a private performance of Wagner's operas. And this space looks a little bit like the underground cave that's featured in the Phantom of the Opera film. Ludwig's final castle project was Herrenkeimsee Palace, built on an island in Lake Keimsee. This time, Ludwig was able to successfully replicate Versailles in all its glory. In fact, his Hall of Mirrors is actually a little bit longer than his counterpart in France. Unfortunately, this too was a long building project, and Ludwig did not live to see its completion. Ludwig eventually had to start facing the harsh realities of his kingdom, though. The first blow to his fantastical happiness was that Wagner was run out of Munich. His ideas were too revolutionary for the town that was surprisingly conservative. This made Ludwig so unhappy that he threatened to abdicate the throne. Luckily, Wagner was able to talk him out of that. Second, and probably more detrimental to Ludwig's kingship, was that Prussia and the German Empire took over Bavaria in 1866, just two years after Ludwig became king. An interesting agreement was made that Ludwig could still be called, quote, king, but really, the Prussian Empire would dictate all policies. Ludwig put up silent protests to this by refusing to attend the ceremony that made the transition official. He sent his uncle and younger brother instead. His fantasy kingdom was seemingly crumbling around him, Ludwig continued his support of Wagner from afar and made it possible for the mega Gesamtkunstwerk of the Ring Cycle to be produced, and Wagner's fame was secure. Even though he devotedly supported Wagner's art, Ludwig did speak out against Wagner's anti-Semitism. He seems to be the original critic that questioned the idea of supporting the art or the artist. Remember Ludwig's fascination with religious legends from medieval times? Wagner helped encourage this fascination when he and other close friends of Ludwig would refer to him as Parzival or the Grail King. 
In fact, Wagner's opera Parsifal was a complex dedication to Ludwig. With most of his power as king taken from him, Ludwig had more free time than ever to become a recluse. Apparently, he would sleep for most of the day and conduct his business at night. He was also fond of riding through the Bavarian mountains at night on a sleigh. Sometimes, he would even wear historical costumes. Ludwig was obviously a fan of the exquisite and luxurious life, but at what cost? For most of his reign, he owed millions of dollars to private loans as well as foreign countries that he had convinced to lend him money to fund his grand spectacles. However, the country of Bavaria was not in debt. Though outlandish, Ludwig was responsible in that he never spent the country's money on his own personal hobbies. But he wasn't doing much to help the people of Bavaria anymore. Ludwig's uncle Luitpold was more sympathetic to the cause of the Prussian Empire under Otto von Bismarck and began to hatch a scheme. There was no way to force Ludwig to leave the throne of his own volition. However, he could be diagnosed as unfit to rule. Luitpold saw that his nephew's erratic and fantastical behavior provided him with a perfect reason to have Ludwig removed. So a group of doctors was brought together, chief among them Dr. Bernhard von Guden. The group ruled Ludwig to be insane. However, this proclamation, as pointed out by Ludwig himself, was based solely on written evidence from other people, and none of the doctors involved had ever met Ludwig, and certainly had not performed any sort of full neurologic examination. So in 1886, Ludwig was removed from his own throne and exiled from his own Neuschwanstein castle that was still under construction. He was moved to Berg Castle on the shores of Starnberg Lake. An interesting series of events then occurred. Ludwig and Dr. Gooden went for a walk together down to the lake. Sometime before they got to the lake, Gooden dismissed their guards to go back to the castle. Several hours later, they both were found dead in the waters of the lake. The autopsy reports at the time report that there was no evidence of what caused Ludwig to die. However, there was evidence of trauma to Gudin. To this day, no one knows exactly what happened that day on the lake. Ludwig's younger brother, Otto, then got to take the throne. However, his reign did not last long either. Though he didn't have the same fantastic obsessions as Ludwig, he did apparently suffer from severe anxiety and depression. It is likely these conditions were undiagnosable in the time period, and so he met a similar fate to his brother. His uncle organized a group that certified him insane and unfit to rule. And in the end, it was Uncle Luitpold who wore the crown. A tragic end for a patron of the arts who just wanted to appreciate the finer things in life. On reflection of their first meeting, Wagner had prophesied, quote, He is unfortunately so beautiful and wise, soulful and lordly, that I fear his life must fade away like a divine dream in this base world. You cannot imagine the magic of his regard. If he remains alive, it will be a great miracle. And it would be a great miracle for us if you would consider supporting this podcast by sharing it with a classical music-inclined friend or anybody who you think would appreciate this historical perspective. 
For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Wagner's Flying Dutchman Overture and Ride of the Valkyries were performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffeehouse on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Thank you.